Welcome to episode 95 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Jim Maddy, CEO at Franklin Energy. Jim's mission as a leader is to help catalyze our national transition to a clean energy economy in which all energy-related businesses profit from the end of climate change and the growth of our planet. Wow. A lifelong supporter of sustainability and energy efficiency, Jim leverages his years of industry experience, leading a team of talented and motivated leaders to drive energy efficiency program adoption and product distribution and delivery among utilities and other market participants, driving a culture of diversity and inclusivity. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with Jim Maddy, CEO at Franklin Energy. Jim, welcome to The Climate Champions. Thank you very much, Lee. Really a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. So I know that you've brought Franklin Energy a focus on climate change mitigation. So I'm very interested to hear what was your personal motivating moment when you decided, I'm going to do something about climate change. I don't know that it was one moment. My career has had a pretty interesting arc to it. I worked at General Electric Company for a long time, including in the energy division. I worked for Hess Energy, dealing with clients and oil and delivery and all kinds of different things. And we had oil spills and rivers and just different things that you would see. And then I went and worked at a utility where my job was to help the organization become more customer-centric. And when you start putting those pieces together, what you realize is that nobody's really working on it, right? Like GE wasn't working on it. It could say it was, but it made all of its money on gas turbines and steam turbines. And Hess could say it was helping because it was buying green energy credits, but was it really? 99% of the business model wasn't. And this was years ago, so I don't know if they've changed. And at a utility, there are poles and pipes and wires company, right? And so at the end of the day, what I found myself in was I have kids. I believe strongly that there's a smarter way to do it. And oh, by the way, everything all of those different businesses and people were doing wasn't helping. So I just decided to put my energy and time and trying to help drive change. I think it's the central challenge of our time. And I'm happy to be a part of a great team at Franklin Energy where it's our business model to do this work and just excited to be a part of actually helping solve the problem. Are there personal drivers for your motivation? As a personal philosophy, I like improving things over time. And I believe strongly, and I try to teach my kids that you have to do that work to be better every day in whatever way you can. And my version of that with business is there is a smarter, better way in business. You can still drive performance, but we can mitigate climate change and we can help leave the planet better. And I don't think we're doing that today. I think it's too much of a me, me, me culture as a country. And so I am focused on being a part of the positive impact that I can be. When you meet people that don't understand the data or don't believe the data around climate change, how do you attempt to convince them 
that this is such a significant problem, like you just said, such a crisis? I tell them the data and I point them. Michael Mann did a very impactful online education course around the impacts of climate change and how it deals with global weather systems and very detailed elements of it. And I say, if you want to educate yourself, here's a place for you to go to. But I'm not going to try to convince you on that because I'm convinced and I've studied it for a very long time. But I will try to challenge you that if I can do energy efficiency work and lower investment in the grid, lower customer bills, and oh, by the way, that happens to affect climate change in a positive way, why wouldn't I do that? If it's smarter, better, and cheaper, why isn't that a good way to do things? And what I can usually do is get them out of an esoteric debate that they clearly don't want to listen to the science and the data and push them into a rational, business-oriented conversation about smart work, right? Like I said, there are plenty of great sources. I prefer the Michael Mann source around the education. You're going to have to invest a few days of your life to get through it all. It's a pretty substantial piece of work, but I think it lays out the science and the data pretty clearly. What do you do at Franklin Energy and what does Franklin Energy do? Very good question. So I am the chief executive officer at Franklin Energy. Franklin Energy is made up of a bunch of companies that were purchased over time, including AM Conservation Group, a company called Planet Ecosystems, a business called RAP, a bunch of businesses that were purchased. I came in last summer. Prior to this, I was the CEO of VEIC. So I have about five years of being a CEO under my belt. Our job at Franklin Energy is to help customers go on their sustainability journey, go on their climate change journey. Mostly what we do today is work through utilities. And I'll give you some examples of other things we do, but we help utilities administer and or deliver against their energy efficiency program goals, which include customer savings and different program deliverables. And we're a full service installer, meaning if somebody wants us to go deliver a sustainability plan for a small business or a commercial or industrial client and or a residence, we go in there, we put the plan together. And if they want somebody to go and install the equipment and make sure it's working correctly, we do that as well. So we are front and center on the climate change journey. And we have about 1,100 people that work every day to help drive change. Has the pandemic affected how you get your job done at all? In many ways, the pandemic has affected how we get our job done. Most importantly, customers for a very long time, until the last couple of weeks, were very nervous, right, about having people come into their homes and about the virus and its impact. And so there was just a big fear culture in our field operations. And we saw a lot of appointment cancellations. We saw a lot of behavioral changes necessary. We had to obviously buy and train people on PPE usage and do those kind of things. We had utilities that were extremely nervous on sectors of the economy, meaning we do work in multifamily. That's typically a lower income sector. As you probably know, the virus hit pretty hard in those sectors of the economy. So we had utility clients that just shut down those programs because they were worried about the risk of us infecting a client. So there are many impacts and we're still feeling them today. We're now just trying to re-engage and restart and or rescale programs. And so that creates a bunch of challenges. And then on the product delivery side of our business, we're seeing inflation issues now. We're seeing global supply chain issues, delays. So there are a lot of different impacts in our sector. Hopefully it's behind us, knock on wood, and we can move forward from here. But it's been a long year for our teams.
for sure. Do you see yourself coming out of it pretty soon here? We are seeing a ton of economic activity. We're seeing all of the restrictions lifted. We're seeing a behavioral shift in our teams and in our end use customers. So we are hopeful by Q3, Q4, that will be kind of normal. All the economists and everybody that I've talked to and studied and tried to learn from here recently have suggested that there's going to be kind of a hyper rebound and then it's going to settle in. So like I said, I'm hoping by Q4, the pent up demand, that hyper rebound effect will settle in and we'll get back to normal. You mentioned that you are the former CEO of VEIC. Do you want to talk more about your prior background? So I started my career with General Electric Company. I spent almost 17 years there, a combination of financial services and the power systems division, as it was called at the time, that's now called GE Energy. Probably my best job there, if I had one, was I was the person that introduced service contracting for power plants, where I was in charge of the sales and growth of that division. Also did all the Six Sigma work there, so quality leader, certified black belt. Then I went to work at Hess Energy Marketing, where I ran customer service department, oil delivery department, and a national and a government sales group, and did essentially energy contracting, performance contracting for gas and electricity for them for a few years. And then I was recruited to be the chief customer officer at National Grid, which is an East Coast-based utility that services Mass, Rhode Island, upstate New York, and downstate New York. That job included all of the energy efficiency program management, all of the distributed generation interconnection service work, all the marketing brands, all the commercial arrangements we had with our clients. I was on the board of the U.S. business and on the executive committee for the U.S. business. And then from there, went to VEIC and ran VEIC for three years. Great group of people there. And then I was fortunate enough to get this opportunity last summer with Franklin, VEIC is kind of a regional service provider to the space, and, and this is a national position with some scale. What are your biggest setbacks that you've had in your career? Everybody has a ton of setbacks, correct? <laughs> yes. It's a really interesting question, Lee. I think they go part and parcel with my personal setbacks or my personal evolution. GE was a different culture than Hess, and I had to adjust. You know, GE was a very kind of hyper competitive culture. Hess was more of a family type of culture. Then I went to a utility culture and it's just taken a lot of growth and development for me to learn how to show up and be effective in those different types of places. I probably stayed at GE too long. There were a handful of years where there was a bunch of consolidation and that that's a tough thing to go through and a tough leadership challenge. And then just honestly learning how to build teams and making some mistakes. And the journey is also obviously a part of anybody's professional accomplishments and issues. Can you talk about the successes that you're most proud of? Yeah. At Grid, we went from being threatened to be fined for solar interconnections to being commended. I had a team of about a thousand people there. I achieved the best employee engagement scores three years in a row for the global entity. At GE, I grew that long-term service contract business from $100 million to $4.5 billion. At GE Capital, it was more personal success, but I was able to take programs that had done no volume and deliver $20, $25 million of volume. We integrated a bunch of companies together in a Chicago business at GE that I ran, and we ended up growing the business by 20% three years in a row. So there's just a lot of different little pieces. For me, it's mostly around Teamly. 
I love building great teams. And so where my successes, it was always about the team, the boss I had, the empowerment I was given to be able to go deliver on change. So what I would say is every one of my successes has come with a great team and a teamwork associated with it. When you look 20, 30, 40 years into the future with regards to the climate, what do you see? Right now I see rising sea levels. I see a dozen hurricanes a year instead of two or three. Right now, unfortunately, we need a deeper, more sustained, more urgent commitment on behalf of governments, global leaders. We're not fixing the problem. I, I want to say I just saw 419 parts per million yeah. in the atmosphere. That's catastrophic. To me, the good news is that I would compare it to like recycling and smoking. Like I'm starting to see consumer sentiment flip and I'm starting to see consumers demand and or make choices around the things that they control with regard to climate change being a part of the decision. And so I could not hesitate when you ask the question to point out the negatives, right? There are negatives and there are things we all need to be catalysts for change around. But the positive to me is my kids want to make calls. My nephew just got a Tesla. First car out of college, first job, got a Tesla. They're making decisions to be a part of solving the problem. And I see that happening pretty broadly. And if we can push that and make our solutions as a company and you and I, we can help people understand it and we can get many people doing it, we can solve the problem. Do you think we're going to? I think we have a chance. I think utilities have to understand that they can help, but there's also places where their cultures aren't the right answer for the future and that they have to change the definition of their role, in my opinion, and or bring in partners to help them. I think consumers need to be educated and we need to get rid of the false narratives that are out there. I think businesses and government need to lead and not hinder the solution. And I am seeing all of those things happening. I am skeptical because we've known about this for a long time and we haven't done anything. And the problem keeps getting worse, but skeptical with some aggression to it, <laughs> meaning we're gonna work on it and we're gonna fix it and we're gonna do everything we can do. I find that that's not an unreasonable answer. We can get to the outcome if we stay together on it. How has the pandemic affected your opinion about the future and whether we can make it? Have we learned anything about climate change from the pandemic? I believe we have, although I don't believe anybody's talking about it. It was a Friday in March when I gathered my leadership team and said, basically, I think we need to send everybody home and I don't think we're coming back for six months. Can we run a business virtually for six months? And we talked through the risks and basically said, we have to, right? Like people's health is not an alternative, so we'll figure it out. You know, it took about a week, maybe two, where it was a little bumpy, right? And people didn't really know how to deal with it. But then it's worked. And, you know, it was more than six months, right? It was a year and a half. And my parallel with that to climate change is, so everybody said we can't. There's no way you can do a work from home culture. There's no way you can create teamwork in a virtual environment. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Well, we did. And by taking all those cars off the road, we did reduce transportation emissions by a significant amount. We proved that you could make a change, even though it wasn't completely planned for, that the change could have a positive impact on the environment and that it wouldn't have that much of a negative environment on people's perceived rationale to not change. 
So if we take that and broaden it, what other decisions could we make that would have the same type of impact? There's a lot of behavioral things that we've said we can't, that maybe we can. And maybe all of those things collectively can make a dent in the problem with climate change. What's one piece of advice you want to give people that want to do something to help, but don't know where to start? Educate yourself. There is a lot of information out there. Your podcast is a great source of information. There are many leaders that are talking about it and offering advice. So there are plenty of educational sources that are available to people to go after their own personal journey and to just take a step. Make a decision on a car, make a decision on where you drive, make a decision on what businesses you support that are more focused on climate change than not, what brands support the climate journey, which ones don't. There are a hundred different things that are minor that wouldn't impact your life in a great degree and might even improve your life to the extent you just made a choice to start. Do you have any questions you want to ask me? What can I do that you don't see me doing? Wow. I mean, I'm a business leader in the industry. We're working hard to try to do more and use our brand in a positive way. But you have a lot of people come on your podcast and talk about how great they are. My question is, what can I do? What do you see people like me not doing that we should do? Earlier, you mentioned that you wanted success to be more about money than in the country. It's all about money and it needs to be about more. I really think that point needs to be talked about as much as it can be. You're private, correct? You don't have shareholders. Correct. So you have the capability to talk about a balanced scorecard, a balanced way of measuring the success of the company without shareholders giving you a hard time about making it all about money. And I think the leaders of this country have to get together and measure in other ways. I think that's a great answer. And I will take up your challenge. So challenge acceptedly. I'll come back on in a year and I'll let you know how I did. Okay, I would love to hear people talking about how great they did with regards to the equity of their employees and how much they've helped the environment. In addition to talking about the money they made, that would be fantastic. I agree. We just did something called a community impact report at Franklin Energy, and it's our first attempt at a balanced scorecard. And if I could just give you some statistics. Did you set me up for this? <laughs> no, I did not. You answered the question, Lee. We did 1.6 million metric tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Our team did last year. We created 4,800 jobs. We served over 3.6 million customers. And we think our programs in local communities created economic activity worth about a billion dollars. Over the lifetime of our water and energy efficiency measures, we believe it'll create 20 billion kilowatt hours equivalent to powering 190,000 homes, one and a half billion therms or 325,000 cars, and 110 billion gallons of water saved. So that is my version of a balanced scorecard, at least the first attempt, and making sure that all our employees know most of our employees come to work for us because they want to do something better. They want to be better. And we believe by talking about this inside the company and outside the company that we can have proof points about what they do every day and how it impacts the environment and they can feel good about where they go to work every day. Well, you've certainly inspired me. Is there anything else that you want to add? I think that should be the drop the mic moment, Lee. Okay. Talking about dropping the mic. On that note, I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. It's just not easy. It's not hocus pocus. You've got to get into energy savings by having a customer focus 
when you want your kids to get moving, you tell them it's all about self-improving. Make a decision to do what you can. Get educated by Michael Mann. You used to be the CEO of VEIC, but now you lead at Franklin Energy. When you were at GE, the thing you did that was wrong is maybe when they were consolidating, you stayed too long. When it comes to going from worst to first, your big inflection was when you improved how long it took to do a solar interconnection. The thing you're into, it is your biggest dream, is to have an incredible team. Rising sea levels, that's your biggest fear. You think we're going to have a dozen hurricanes in a year. It's not going to be easy. We know it's going to be hard, but you just committed to me to have a balance score card. It was great having you on my podcast. I'm really glad he came and talked to me. Thank you, Jim Maddy. Oh, my goodness. Great. Absolutely fantastically. Really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity and excited to see where this all goes for both of us. That's the first time one of my guests asked me to give them a challenge. I thought a balanced scorecard was a good ask, but he was already headed in that direction and even had his metrics ready to go. I guess that's why he's a climate champion. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Jim's passion for being a part of the climate change solution is inspirational. It's extremely important having as many people as possible engaged in fighting this crisis, but CEOs like Jim are multipliers. With their ability to affect change in their employees and even customers, they're well positioned to be strong forces in aggressively mitigating climate change. Mm-hmm.